Hi, everybody. We have a really, really special guest with us today. And I say that after having interviewed over well over a thousand people, as you all know. And every now and then you come across someone who is so authentic and so incredibly beautiful from the inside out that has access to knowledge that the average person may not know they have access to. And it makes for an incredible uh, combination of traits and also conversation. Her name is Marin Mutter, and she wrote an incredible little book called uh, the Book of Buried Letters. And this is a compendium of letters she wrote from the age of four to 17. But wow, what profound insights coming from a little girl. So let's go to Marin. Marin, welcome to ReginaMeredith.com and this show. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Regina. It's nice to see you again. Thank you for having me. You know what's so wonderful? When I first read the book, um, one of my uh, community members suggested I read the book because she had already connected with your work. And mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, we could all use a little break, you know, something sweet. <laughs> well, I started reading your book and I thought there were two things. Number one, you're an, a very um, unique individual who is looking at life between dimensions. So information is flowing interdimensionally to you. And this isn't anything that you, you know, you tout, it's just a fact. And you were doing this by the, from the time you were born and it was showing in your writing. So you had incredibly profound access to deep insights, even from age four. But what also got me was the incredible whimsy and imagination and mind and fear and love of all little kids. We just don't know what's going on in their minds. And you chronicled that for us. So anyway, with that, I would love you to tell us who you were, when you remember from in life, and why you started writing these little letters. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I was actually born in Omaha and adopted and about five days old, switched out to the Pacific Northwest, where I grew up with, you know, the rainforest in my backyard and pretty much nature everywhere. And I really um, connected with nature and started listening to what it was telling me. And what it was telling me was not necessarily what everybody else in the world person-wise was telling me. There was other hints that there is so much more out there. And um, I started meditating at a very young age. I started meditating probably at two or three years old, putting myself into transcendental meditations that allowed me to physically leave the body spiritually. So my physical body was back and my um, spiritual body left and explored the universes and explored different connections that we have between here and the other side of the veil. And what I found was we all connect this way and we all have this ability for what I call a personal mediumship. And this is how we gain all of our knowledge here. So as we're growing here and as we're learning here, what's happening is we're not picking up information outside of our body. We're actually getting experiences and having different interactions with our environment which is actually opening up different pathways to the other side of the veil that allows just enough information to come in that suit us and we can progress and move forward. And this is kind of how, when we see children that have amazing mathematical abilities or children that have amazing artistic abilities or musical abilities at very young ages, and we call them savants, what happens is they have their frequencies open pretty much to the, all of the consciousness on the other side of the veil and it never really shut off and quieted down. So that's why they still have to learn a lot around them, but they have an aptitude for one thing and that's because this frequency is open. And for me, I had a lot of these frequencies open and they never really shut off. So my memory went back to infantile memory, in utero memory, but then also connected to um, pre-birth memories and um, past life experience memories. And, and you, that's what I started writing about. 
and writing too was one of these past life experiences. Yes, we'll talk about that uh, in just a second here, but uh, you were talking about meditating at a very young age and you were meditating and you put yourself in such a deep trance by the age of three that you actually uh, were, you died. You had, an, you had a near-death experience because your heart had slowed down to almost nothing. What was going on there? Because you speak throughout the book, throughout those years of growing up, of wanting to reconnect with the hum of all, the hum of the universe. Let's speak about that, what you were doing back then and what that means overall and what that hum means to you even today. Mm -hmm. Well, the hum is basically we all have a vibration. Everything around us has a vibration and the vibration of the universe has its own language. And what I found at a young age when I started meditating was these different frequencies. And so I would try to mimic some of these frequencies. And I found that when I did, I could harmonize with them. And at night, it was hard for me to go to sleep sometimes. So I would try to mimic the sound of a car. And I would start humming. And then I'd change the pitch of the hum to go a little higher, a little lower. And all of a sudden, it started opening up different avenues and different pathways. And I found that I could start going in to these different frequencies like spiritually and harmonizing with them and at three years old this one instance that we were talking about with the uh, near-death experience is there's kind of a whole range of frequencies that opened up and i decided to go and explore and i went out and i went out of my body and i started exploring and it was magnificent the things that I was seeing and, and being part of and this geometric world out there was just awe-inspiring. And I felt my heart stopping and I felt my lungs stopping and pretty much ceasing completely. And when I got far enough out, it just all let go and I didn't look back really until I realized that, oh, maybe I should go home now because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> there are those and responsibilities I, to mom and dad. <laughs> I turn around and, and it was almost like there's this little tether, like a little rope and I start pulling myself back. Um, and I think that was probably the time that my father was resuscitating. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, you were talking about this geometry and, um, I had almost forgotten all about it, but I used to have these experiences and I'll just ask you about this um, because others may as well. And it happened after, it happened one time after I saw a sphere in the sky, a bright green, large sphere flying from above and, and, and it basically just slammed into and penetrated the earth. And I wasn't the only one that saw it. My cousin was with me. We were both watching it. We lived in Sedona at the time. But it precipitated a series of 13 of these events, but I had had them over the years before where all of a sudden you dial into something and in the middle of the line of sight in the eye starts this, this vibrating and these colors and then they start expanding and it takes about a half an hour to fully go through it. And it expands out from here and grows until it's hitting the periphery of the vision, but it's the geometry and the light and shine and the different colors that are pulsating back and forth during these experiences. Is that kind of some of what you've experienced, these pulsating? It's almost like shards of glass with, filled with light. Like a kaleidoscope. Yes, like a kaleidoscope. And it comes yeah. out to the periphery. Exactly. So there's several things. When you talk to, you know, an eye doctor, he might say that there's, you know, different things with the lenses and, and you get the little floaters and things like that. And, and, but this isn't that. And That's so when you're describing, and because you could, there's a distinct difference between what you're describing and what, you know, normal iterations of what our eyes would naturally do here as they're focusing. But what you're seeing is, is actually the the hum. <laughs> that's what that's yeah. actually what it is when I talk about the hum is very similar. So if you were to put that into pictures, it would create that geometric, those little kaleidoscopes and all of this color. 
And probably what you saw when you started talking about the light is a light that isn't an earthly light. It's an ethereal light because it encompasses all of these colors, but it also encompasses absolutely nothing at the same time. And it awakens you. And so typically when you see that and you start having those things happen in the little vibrations right in the center of your eyes, or you start seeing them on the outside, that's the time when you can start asking questions. And that's the time when you can actually start getting answers. The interesting thing is, is sometimes when you ask the questions at that time and you get the answers, once that vibration ends and once those um, colors and the different parts of the geometric shapes subside, that I might also take the answer away also. And so okay. you have a form of amnesia. So you can open up these pathways and get out there and see everything and get all of these answers. But when you stop and that pathway kind of closes up, it can actually quiet those frequencies again. So you can focus on your life here on what is important here, because that that is important to our survival. Absolutely. We don't want to be distracted with all that all the time. The other thing, and then I'll get off the personal part, but I think there are many people watching that have the same thing. I'd been through a spiritual uh, ritual in Sedona that was pretty intense. And after that, the hum started in my ears and never went away. And the hum does change depending on what environment, what you're passing through, the pitch will come and go. But I guess the question is, I've just lived with it and never actually used it. Is mm -hmm. that hum that some of us hear, that many of us hear, something like you when you were three, we could dial into that tone and begin toning with it and, and perhaps access something else? Yes, we all have this ability. And if you have that, that hum and those different frequencies coming in and you're recognizing them, not as tinnitus, but you're recognizing them as, as this thing. If you start exploring that, if you start going out that and allowing your energy of your body to kind of try to meld with it, you know, weave into it, you might be able to go exploring even while you're wide awake, which is amazing. And there's exercises you can do that actually help do this. And everybody can, everyone has access to these. Would you be willing to share, say, one exercise with us for anyone who wants to start following the hum? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this is the easiest exercise, and this is what I usually get people started from. And it's not necessarily, we're not going to do audibly. What we're going to do is we're going to um, create the circuit because our body is an electromagnetic circuit, and we're going to open up the circuit. And this is, feels like a childhood game, but it's a lot of fun. So we put our hands together, and we bring our elbows up and we squeeze our palms together and we're just gonna squeeze them together for, just for this we'll say 30 seconds. But typically it's gonna be a minute, a minute and a half. But I really want you to push those hands together. And what we're doing right now is we're creating a circuit. So our body is now pushing the energy or electricity of our body between our hands because now our hands are touching each other. And when I say go, what we're going to do is we're going to drop our elbows down and we're going to relax our hands, keep them together. And then ever so slowly, just ever so gently, I want you to try to start separating your hands. Just very, very, very slowly. Take your time. And then what you will see when your hands are separated, is you'll feel a heat and a vibration between your hands. And you just slowly keep separating them. And you'll feel like your hands are still connected. And if for some reason you're not feeling it right now, just hold. when you do the exercise, you're going to do it longer than the 30 seconds. And eventually, what's going to happen is you can get your hands out about shoulder width apart. And then if you want to actually feel the energy stronger, you would ever so slowly, like really slowly, try to bring your hands back together. And you'll actually run into almost like a plasma ball. 
it's almost you can almost feel it in there yes and that what you're feeling inside there is the other side of the veil interesting so that's something we can all do and it's powerful something you, can, you try to put your hands back there's resistance because there's resistance. Much energy exactly and what is really neat is when you practice doing this and you start doing that then you can actually start calling upon this plasma without putting your hands together mm -hmm. you can say you know what i want to hear something a little better or i want to feel something and you can actually pull it to right here and it enhances the spiritual sense of your hearing and you can bring it to your third eye and it helps open you up and it actually helps you connect with everything around you so you can actually put your entire body into it it's not like a force field or a shield or anything what it is is it's just expanding your body your energy that you make your hum your resonance out to the rest of the environment around you which is fabulous oh my gosh that is that's wonderful it's it, and you can feel it you can definitely feel that plasma yeah. it's simple we can all do it thank you i didn't expect a little how-to on that uh, <laughs> before we launch into some of these other profound uh questions about healing but that sounds like it's going to play back into it a little later on so i'm glad you already shared that so okay now let's look at the notion of healing because when you were little and you wrote about this in the book were you what six or six or seven years old you were quite young giving your sister a back rub mm -hmm. she was older than you and you stopped because something felt wrong and you didn't want to continue yes. it finally blurted out you have cancer now let's talk about the matrix of information in our fields that leads to what can manifest later as physical disease how that matrix gets programmed and disturbed to begin with and what you see between dimensions about this because i know that this is multi and interdimensional the notion of well-being is multi-dimensional and so is illness so please explain to us from your little child mind what happened and then as you have now better ability to articulate to others how disease begins manifesting Sure. Well, I used, my sister would give me 25 cents for a back rub. <laughs> on this day, um, I was actually 10 and she was 15, right? There, well, I was maybe 11 and she might have been 16. Okay. And we were laying in front of the fire, so it was nice and warm. And I get to her lower back and then I get to her upper thighs. And I felt something completely different because normally she has you know you you kind of feel the energy or i felt the energy of people when i would put my hands on people i kind of go through their bloodstream like i connect and, and travel through and it's kind of cool for me anyway at that time <laughs> and i got to a point I, and it was the energy was completely different and the heat was different in this particular area of her body which was right at her lower back and then right at her upper thighs and i can still feel it today just as good as I could hear, feel it then. And was it hotter or colder? It was hot. It was it was just different. Uh -huh. So it might have been a little bit hotter, um, but it's it was just different. Like the things were vibrating differently inside of her. And so I'm explaining it as I was as a child. So I paused, and I just stopped, and I just hovered in this. And she was like, "Marin, what are you doing?" And I said, you feel different. And she says, Marin, it's just the fire. We're sitting by the fire, just keep going. And, and I kept, I would go and then I'd come back and I'd just sit there and she's like, oh, forget it. And I said, all right. So I started thinking about that in my sleep. Well, not in my sleep, but as I would go to bed or sometimes when I'd go outside and play and it took me about two weeks to figure it out because I really didn't know what cancer was at that time. And one night it came to me and the next morning i was actually two things excited i found out what it was and two i wanted to take it away from her so if you remember when we were kids i'm rubber your glue whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you okay i was hoping my sister would say that <laughs> 
Um, so she's in the shower and I go and I run and I open the door. I say, Misha, 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 I need to tell you something. And she opens the shower door and I'm standing at the door of the bathroom. And she says, what? I said, you're going to die of cancer. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, but the horror on her face, um, was terrible. And I, really wanted her to say i'm rubber your glue because what i was feeling was i can handle this i can take this on and i will if i beat it i beat it if i don't i don't but she won't have to have it so she told me to get out and she would never talk to me again and she never really did until her deathbed um and she ended up dying of ovarian cancer she was diagnosed four years after i told her and then she fought it valiantly for like another 10 years off and on. I mean, she got her walking paper so many times and I just, I, I, it was just terrible. And you couldn't take it off of her. You can't take it off of her. So no. one thing that we need to know about illness is we all have a predisposition to all illnesses. We have a predisposition position to heart disease to cancers and all it's already in our dna and it's already in our mitochondrial dna basically how we're going to die and when our time is up our time is up and there's going to be nothing we can do about it but until then we're going to be able to make ourselves feel better so if we have a cold we can get rid of the cold if we have a flu we're going to get rid of the flu unless that flu is our number and then that's going to be it um, now, sometimes when our bodies have um, different cancers and we have um, environmental stimulus, we can actually be stimulated environmentally to start this cancer and our body can fight it off for years and we can actually get our body to fight it off because we can change the resonance, we can change um, the frequencies of our cellular levels to change what the outcome is going to be and so let's say that we fought it and we did a great job but then 10 or 15 years later um, we go into an environment and someone is smoking a cigarette and that one little puff of smoke from someone else over there can trigger that cancer again inside of us and then that's how it goes but can we change our fate with sickness i mean we really can't we're all going to die, but we really can change our fate with sicknesses and how it's going to affect our body and how we're going to go through them. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. When you, not just putting your hands on your sister's back and reading the energy that way, but when you look at disease in people, because you've done this with other people as well, and yes. you're looking at that matrix, multidimensional, of where the information is flowing and what stimulates the information, be it past lives, emotions, uh, spirit, etc. Tell us what that matrix is like and how it starts programming our DNA and mitochondria to begin with, almost from conception, I would guess. Yeah, definitely from conception. Um, how I like to look at it, when I, when I look out, um, my memories coincide with the matrices. And so it looks like a huge tapestry in front of me. And I see all the little teeny tiny intersections and binding points of all these little geometric shapes or the tapestry. And from there, it looks like a field of clover, I guess. And it all looks harmonious and beautiful but you know when you go out into the field of clover yourself you see that maybe one is missing a leaf one has four leaves you know you have all the different variants and so when you when illness starts coming up it's almost like blooming out of this field of clover so initially you're looking out there and then all of a sudden when your illness starts coming up it's starting to grow up through the this tapestry and then it reaches the next level 
which might be breaking the ground. So right now we have the soil and then we have the breaking of the ground and it hasn't quite bloomed yet. And when we're getting a cold, when we're getting a flu, when we're getting heart disease, cancer, whatever else um, is on its way, even dementia, it's coming up through this ground, coming up, breaking through the soil, turning into a little plant, and then it's starting to bloom. So we have the opportunity to slow down the growth. We have the opportunity to stop the growth. And we have the opportunity to cut it <laughs> and lawnmower this growth. <laughs> so it just isn't going to be affecting us. But, this, but does that take it completely away? No, because the root system is still there because that's how we're made, that is our DNA, it's in there. And unless we have triggers, unless we have the right mix of water and air and you know stormy weather and sunny weather, whatever we need for our garden to grow here, um, we can mute it, but it's still there, it's still under the, this layer. And that's how I see illnesses. So when I talk to somebody, when I meet with someone, when I touch someone, I kind of get to see the entire depth of their garden and what's out there and what is imminent, what is starting to sprout, what is starting to root, you know, a little bit more and maybe what's pushing up through the soil. And that's kind of how I look at it and how I see it, illness. What an elegant way and a very direct, literal way to speak about it. So let's say you're seeing it starting to poke through the soil a little bit. What would you then tell a person and how can they um, intervene to maybe start the mowing process ultimately? Yeah, well, that's a good question. First of all, if I see it on somebody, I'm not going to tell them unless they have specifically asked me. And because I don't think it's my position to tell everybody everything that I see. I agree. Um, so it's really important that if someone has come to me and they ask me a specific question, I will answer it. But if they don't, then I'm, I'm not going to. Um, when I see someone and they've asked me and, and I see the different stages it's in, I'll kind of explain it like a garden, tell them where it is. Because what happens then is they're able to digest this information and they're able to see it in not so scary terms and then they will naturally be able to push it back down or they'll be able to control it in their own way and, and naturally how they're going to be going through it so that's how i do it and that's how i encourage them and then if they have more questions they can come to me and we can work on their garden together and and tend it so we don't have so many things we don't a want. of well-being i love it <laughs> but uh, what about the emotional component of it so let's say a person said i really want you to share with me and you have done so and it's something that they find frightening and mm -hmm. let's look at the role of fear and what that does to the body to the garden to the soil to the blood etc yeah well fear and stress work hand in hand and they can wreak havoc over our entire body they can wreak havoc not only mentally but physically and it and it's not necessarily weakening what it's doing is is it's almost like making everything barren so it's killing everything that would be good and healthy and so all of a sudden now you have this barren soil and you're getting a lot of junk you don't want coming up so what i do when we when we have fear and stress is we're going to talk about it and we're going to see what is causing this fear and this stress because usually there's underlying something they don't want to leave their family or they're afraid they don't know what's going to be on the other side but when we learn about what death actually is and we learn about how it helps our body to understand that this is part of who we are whether we're going to die right now or whether we're going to die at 115, the health of our body actually strengthens. And when we start learning about the different processes that our body is going through, and we can start asking these questions that maybe we can't ask our doctor or maybe we can't ask you know, those around us, but you can ask in a safe, secure environment that's a confidential safe environment and you can start expressing and expelling some of these fears and have someone listen 
and then have someone work through them with you. All of a sudden, it's like you're getting pump. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> you're getting um, healthy. So it's like you have this dry sponge right now because you're scared and have stress and you're a dry sponge. And when you start going through this process and working through it and finding out what is the basis of this fear, then it's like adding water to that sponge. And now the sponge is nice and thick and pliable. And you know that you can absorb more water with a wet sponge than you can a dry sponge. Absolutely. And so when you're speaking, everything, the way you put it and the way that you handle people and work with them is very magical, very beautiful, very oriented toward the forces of nature. And I'm wondering if you were to look at it from, say, from another kind of being outside of Earth's matrix, can it look almost mechanical in nature that these, these, are, these are life principles that you're working with? Yeah, I... I think um, mechanical for me is, is hard because sure. even when I see a mechanical thing, like I get you. <laughs> or a car, um, I see it very naturally for me. And so I think if you're not earthbound, I think if you're looking at it from something else, I think you have more of an organic view of what's going on. I think humans have done a fabulous job of trying to remove the organic and separate the human from the natural order of things and make us our own separate something. Well, and that's kind of why I asked you because yeah. people for hundreds of years now have been going through this process and we're marching even further toward it that if, they're, if that's where your mind has gone and you're not playing with the magic of nature consciously anymore, although you're living it every second, then maybe understanding there are incontrovertible principles that do work, even if it looks to you to be somewhat mechanical, it's still not. It's still an expression of the matrix in nature, but it will work. I yeah. guess that's what I'm saying. Scientific materialism. A lot of people are thinking, I want... I want to know for a fact that this works, right? Exactly, exactly. And there's nothing out there. I mean, there are bad news, I guess. There's nothing out there that's 100% guarantee on anything. Yeah. I work with people that are very mechanical, a lot. Um, one of my very closest partners is a medical oncologist, MD, PhD, and very linear. <laughs> and, you know, and ha went from black and white, seeing things very mechanically to after knowing me um, and working with me for a while, kind of seeing sparks of what I'm talking about out there. So, yeah. you know, but his default is, you know, when we're separated for a couple of months or something, he goes right back to where he was. And then we start opening things back up again. And, but it, it's hard. It's hard these days with, um, everything so mechanical. We're, our entire life is digital, and you know we're on the computers, and we're doing this, and the phones, and and it's very hard to remember sometimes that we are organic beings. When we really are. Absolutely, and our probably our greatest healer, our greatest teacher, as you learned as a child, is Mother Nature. So let's talk about how if we become too detached from nature and too digital, living in our little cubbies, living in our soft, easy couch or chair with a computer in front of us, let's talk about expanding back into nature and how we begin working with nature for our own healing and well-being. Yeah, that's a good Thing to talk about. So I think if we're looking at people in their homes, because maybe not everybody has access to the rainforest or maybe to get outside all the time, but we do have access in our homes to have a plant and we do have access in our home. Some of us have animals, dogs, cats. And if you turn everything off just for even an hour a day, not before you go to bed, but literally you know, sometime during the day, so dinner time or after dinner time, and you're not watching television, you're not watching a show, nothing. And you take your shoes off and you can feel the fibers of your carpet. Or if you have a hard floor, you know, go feel the different textures of your on your feet. And that is probably the easiest way to start reconnecting, even in 
a more sterile environment than getting outside. But the more you can touch and feel and be tangibly present where you are, the more you're going to have these awakenings and awarenesses of you, even if you're outside in New York and you're hailing a cab, by spending an hour a day with nothing on, you'll see and feel the world a little bit differently. And I think that is, it's a gift we can give each other and to ourselves also. And you're also a lover of trees. I am too. Um, let's talk about trees if you have access to a tree. Yes. Oh, if you have access to a tree. A tree is going to give you the biggest hug you can ever have. <laughs> you can take your shoes off and just stand at the base of a tree. Just stand at the base of a tree without your shoes on. Go ahead and touch the tree, feel the tree, and even down on the earth because it has that whole mycelium layer below the, the surface. And you can actually feel that energy it's like taking a big giant deep breath for the first time in a long time being next to the trees and they pretty much wrap you in their energy and bring you into their family when you come close when you're quiet and you just want to be it's almost like going home and they welcome you home so. And sitting with a tree, if you have, if you're sitting with a tree that has kind of a, a uh, flat dirt platform around it, rather than roots growing mm -hmm. up, where you can put your spine back on the tree and just sit with the tree, to me, it's a, it's amazing what exchanges between the two beings. Oh, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, it just fills my heart thinking about it. Yes. So you were talking about working in partnership with this um, oncologist. How do you, how do you work with these people in the medical field? Mm. Good question. Um, well, this started with chocolate. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, I sent this doctor and I started talking and I lived in Washington state and he lived in Florida and I sent him some chocolate after we had spoken on the phone for like a month. We were talking about um, growing rice in the Dominican Republic and feeding people. And it was just really neat, some of his ideas that he wanted to do. And I said, now this is very special chocolate. And when you eat this chocolate, I just want you to sit back and allow it to coat your tongue, allow it to coat all the way down, and you're going to feel everything in your body opening up. And so he did. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. And I said, it is one, it's one of the things that my sister wanted when she was on her deathbed, when um, is she wanted chocolate. And I had always remembered her as a vanilla girl, but she said, Marin, I just want some of your chocolate. I said, all right. So I, I did that. And he started giving this chocolate to his patients. And then he started asking me more about, you know, what's happening because why are these patients reacting the way that they are with your chocolate? I love it. And, you know, I, I started, I went down there and I started explaining how chocolate is working and, and things like that. And one of his patients was the CEO of Levi Strauss. Mm. And on his deathbed, he actually called for my chocolate. <gasps> and you, you make this chocolate, obviously. Yeah. Starting. We yeah. got him the chocolate. Um, I, I made a fresh batch and drove it over. He was staying at the Ritz Carlton in Sarasota, Florida. And his wife came down and um, took the chocolate. And I think for the last six hours of his life, that's what he was doing. He was spending time with his wife and savoring the chocolate. And so that's how my introduction into the medical world opened up. And then I started sharing some of the things that I learned um, transcendentally and, you know, how our bodies are working and how we have different scents and different smells and different energies that radiate off, radiate off of us and out of us, depending on what illness we have and that I'm able to, you know, not only smell it, but I can also sense it. So that's a beautiful to a dog i guess i'm kind of like a dog <laughs> <laughs> in your book you're writing to the flower lady 
-hmm. and you have a very strong attraction to the beings in the woods, the master herbologists and witches that know how to use all the things from the forest, the berries and leaves and herbs and everything. So can you talk a little bit about that? That clearly must be part of your past. Yeah. So one of my past lives, um, I am working on a book right now called Previously Yours, and it, it's touching and talking about um, past life experiences. And the flower lady was actually from a past life. And the story of the flower lady is, is quite remarkable. Uh, I grew up with her in the forest, and she was actually taken away, and I hid in the thickets. And I watched these men come and, and take her away. And I actually stayed in the cabin or the shack that we shared together for the rest of my life. And I never really spoke to people again. I do remember making pies <laughs> with the miller. Um, so that's where I started. And I think I learned a lot of, or I remembered a lot of this herbal recipes that I was learning on my own as a child. So as I was running around in the forest in this iteration of life and picking different berries and putting them together in a pot and making whatever concoctions I was making, it was almost opening up more and more information to this previous ex existence that I had. And I started, you know, really pulling information from these other places into this life and when i was writing to the flower lady it was like i was writing home i was here in this iteration of my life and this is camp and i was writing home <laughs> yeah that's interesting because for anyone who hasn't read the book yet when you do you'll see every um letter is prefaced with dear flower lady so now you know in advance because i was guessing all the way through i hadn't talked to you yet who's the flower lady and then in addition to that, the very beginning of the book, you're talking about the letters and the blue jar with the letters in it. And uh, tell us the story of that, because this is a child's imagination about a bandit and a, a witch in the woods and taking your, stealing your letters from you. So the whole thing is a child's imagination when you start reading the beginning chapter of the book about the bandit okay who meets his end for stealing your letters so let's talk about that lost jar of letters a little bit and how you began finding them to create this wonderful compendium of letters yes um well i started writing out to the dear flower lady and i it was very simple like i said i was writing home to camp and my life my home life started changing a lot. And I think that's where the bandit came in because at first he was a drifter. And being a drifter, he had just gotten out of war and was just trying to find some quiet, some peace, a, a good place to live. And he was coming west. So he's hitting the wild west. And he crossed over the Cascade mountain ranges and found himself in Portland or the Oregon area in the rainforest wherever I was and I think the the development of the drifter to the bandit was actually the development of my father looking back and seeing how my dad had just gotten back from Vietnam and had to be a certain way just like every other Vietnam vet they had to put the war behind them not talk about it and just be fine everything is normal and inside they have the bayonet of war lancing their soul and they can only do that for so long until something happens something snaps inside and then they start really struggling with a post-traumatic stress disorder now I'm not saying everybody but for my father definitely um, and he really, you know, he'd wake up in the middle of the night, hiding behind the couches, um, thinking that he was in battle. And basically, that killed the family that I knew, you know, up until about eight years old, which was a great daddy. And then all of a sudden, he turned into a person that was afraid inside. And I think I was very fortunate to be able to see, and I don't know how I understood, but understand what was going on with him. So I knew that his actions against me weren't against me. They were against 
whatever was killing him inside and, and painful. And so that's where the bandit came in. Yeah. The flower lady was just this lady that I knew. So whether she was my mother or whoever she was, this beautiful woman in the woods, that's how it was. And then we had the scientist come in. And the scientist showed up and he was a botanist, but he was a time traveler. And I think that the reason why I brought him into my fold was because he was able to go through and go to different dimensions anytime he wanted. And he got stuck in this dimension like for a you. little bit because the portal closed. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it really, all these characters played off of my life and out of my life. And so as you're writing all of these letters, and do you have one or two with you? Sure. Let's see. I actually have the book with me. Yes, I love the book. I've been giving it to people to read before they go to bed at night to reimagine life. Let's see. I've got... um... It's interesting you were talking about the time-traveling scientist because in there is a very deep understanding of DNA and mitochondria, again, at a very young age. Here's one that I'll read, actually, because it talks about that. And so this is is actually one that's not in the book. In my dreams last night, there was an inspiration into the subject matter of cancer. Cancer catches my attention because it is an unknown illness that can take anyone's life at any stage of life. Today, um, we went to the doctors for shots. (laughs) Maybe that's why I was dreaming. I think I can find a way to make a virus that goes into the cells that have cancer and infect them with a bomb of sorts. I'm going to pause right there. If you look at a company called Xiopharm Oncology, they have what is called now a um, T-cell receptor, or it's called the Sleeping Beauty Platform. And this was written in the 70s. And they just came out with that. But this is literally what I'm writing about is the sleeping beauty platform. The time traveler scientist. Yeah. Healthy cells fight um, with with a bomb of sorts. Healthy cells fight diseases and viruses. um, And if they can't, they die. The doctor says, I am right to assume they kill themselves, although cells don't think or have a mind to make choices. That's what the doctor says. I beg to differ with that though. I think cells can think. I think they have a type of memory and share it, but that is another subject for another day. So back to viruses and infecting cancer cells. I imagine because cancer cells have such an ego of indestruction, their guards are down. And if their guards are down, that means that they are a not may not be able to protect themselves. Interesting. Against the virus. I wonder if it is a virus that wants to attack a cancer cell for lunch. <laughs> um how old were you when you wrote that one? Probably seven or eight. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, everybody. (laughs) Interesting. And here we now have the sleeping beauty bomb, so to speak, that is being introduced exactly as you saw it back then. So you were the time traveler scientist and still are. And what a, how wonderful it is that you can share what you're able to access with people such as your oncologist friend to give them a whole new framework for this disease you know, this disease, as you say, that's programmed from even before birth in us. And, you know, there are so many other subjects that you, that you can go into and do. Um, I just want to bring up uh, the thing that we're going to talk about. I'm going to have you on my show at at Gaia as well Mm -hmm. on Open Minds. I'll be meeting you in the flesh in another month, month and a half's time. We'll do that show that'll come out a few months after that. In that, we're going to be talking also about uh, parallel timelines and realities, living parallel existences, again, because you're seeing information from the veil that goes between the dimensions and worlds and shows all the possibilities, which will be 
a fascinating discussion. So we'll have that and much, much more by then. Uh, so, and also I really encourage anybody watching this to go ahead and, and write um, on the comments in YouTube of anything that you really want to hear me talk to Marin about in upcoming conversations. That would be great. Meanwhile, yeah. Marin, um, we'll, we have so much to think about just from this one <laughs> little session together um, that I just want to say, is there any final thing in this winding down of the time of COVID? that you would like to share with people as we start returning to normal now? Mm. Yes. I want us to remember what it felt like to be calm and quiet. And I think it's also really important. We had such a special time, not only naturally and having nature, you know, kind of show us that it's, it knows how to heal, but we had a very unique chance to be ourselves behind the door, we, you know, we could dress what we wanted, we could be who we wanted, we didn't have to be what society or what the media pushes onto us. And the interesting thing that I'm watching right now is, as the world opens back up, all of a sudden, these messages are starting to bombard us again, that we need to do this, and we need to do that, and we need to be this, and we need to be that. And my message to you is you are enough, just as you are. And to remember that and to remember that gift that we were given, that we can share that gift now and connect with each other in ways that we haven't been able to connect with each other in ways for however many years. So we are enough. And that's a beautiful message to end on. And Marin, for anybody who'd like to reach out to you and, and connect with you, I know you're busy, but is there a way to do that? Um, sure, you can go, you can just email me at Marin, M-A-R-E-N, Muter, M-U-T-E-R, at gmail.com. And I will answer your questions or uh, your emails. Might take me 24 hours, but hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're busy and getting busier as people start discovering you and putting you on shows like this. <laughs> it's going to get busier for you. I'm just very happy that we're able to meet with you and have access to you at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't wait to see you in the flesh in another yeah. month or so. And I'll bring you some chocolate. Oh, oh my gosh, what a dream. I would love that. I would love it. And I will sit. I will sit with it and let it take me over. In fact, I have to say that while we've been talking, because we talked about that hum in the beginning, I've been having a little bit of a hard time just staying really dialed in because I can feel something wanting to hum with me. As soon as we're done talking, I'm going to have to go sit with it. So thank you for sharing that with all of us because we all have the hum. And I'm just noticing it in a very pronounced way at the moment. So... <laughs> Thank you so much, Marin. It's an absolute uh, delight. Can't wait to see you in July. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Again, everybody, Marin Muter. And now if you want to go ahead and buy the book on Amazon, uh, the book of buried letters, she goes under the nom de plume, Marin Meandering, Marin Meandering, and you'll find it on Amazon. And again, if you'd like to reach out to Marin, uh, Marin Muter, M-U-T-E-R, at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.